Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. For 12 years, the Internal Communications Agency Gatehouse has conducted State of the Sector, a global survey of the IC profession based on responses from more than a thousand professionals. Just before the release of this year's survey, two Gatehouse directors, Kevin McDougall and Andy McLeod, came into the studio to discuss State of the Sector 2020. Find out how your IC team stacks up as we dive into the role, priorities, challenges and activities of in-house practitioners around the world. And as a new decade looms, what challenges and opportunities are on the horizon? So, Kevin and Andy, thank you so much for coming in to talk about the Gatehouse State of the Sector 2020. It's great to have you here in person. I think being good comms people, perhaps we should start with your objective for this survey. So really, what's the purpose of State of the Sector? What's your motivation for doing it? And what do you hope IC teams get out of reading it? Well, thank you very much for the invite today, Katie. It's great to be here. Um, State of the Sector, as you say, uh, launched over 10 years ago now, around the time when Gatehouse was founded. Um, and over the last 10 years, we've really tried to push it forward in helping the profession move forward. So looking at channels, budgets, and all the different trends that are out there when sometimes someone is in an internal communications role and doesn't have the time to look above and actually look at what's going on out there. So for us, it's a great way of benchmarking your internal comms uh, function against those of your competitors. And it actually helps teams actually uh, build a business case for investment when they can see what's being done out there. So for for 2020, it's our biggest state of the sector survey with over a thousand uh, global IC professionals completed the survey. And what's the breakdown there? So how many people did you have from different parts of the world um, in terms of location, but also maybe their sector and the size of the organisations that were responding? Yeah, sure. So 45 countries represented in this survey um, with around 50% uh, being UK based um, from around 33 different industries, including uh, some of the top ones, local and central government, uh, banking and finance, healthcare and professional services. Interestingly, um, the organisation sizes that they work for, uh, around 50% of those were well over 5,000 employees, um, with quite a few uh, over 50,000 employees as well. And of the people that completed the survey, around 57% said their role was entirely dedicated to internal comms. Right, so you are pretty confident that this is a good... Uh, diverse cross-section of the IC world out there globally. You're, you're pretty confident about this? Absolutely. We'd like to think it's probably one of the biggest internal communications market reports in the world, we hope. Well, yeah, yeah, well, I think if listeners know another, they need to let us know. So one of the things that really jumped out for me was probably our budgets might not be increasing, but organisations are definitely spending more on internal comms because there's been a bit of an IC recruitment drive recently. Would that be a fair assessment? Definitely a fair assessment. I think um, we're seeing uh, businesses increase their, their human resource around internal communications, perhaps a slight dip in the overall financial resource. I think as teams develop and IC professionals are seen as trusted advisors to their senior exec team, absolutely that investment is there and only right now working with 
organizations who have invested as a result of auditing their internal comms and uh, looking at what their competitors are doing from some of the trends in this survey. Mm. So it's good news from that perspective. You would assume that organizations see the value because otherwise they wouldn't put their money. They're basically putting their money where their mouth is. Definitely, definitely. And with more measurement happening now, actually proving the return on investment from from putting in that uh, money into the into the internal comms team. Yeah. And can you actually give us some figures around this? So in terms of the size of the organization, on average, depending on the workforce size, how many IC people in these teams? It's a question we get asked a lot. And I think, you know, uh, a number of years ago, it was always one internal communications person for around a thousand employees. Uh, we're seeing that nearer one to 500 um, in the latest survey. So right. um, for organizations of around 500 people, we're looking at about two internal communications people in some cases. Does that mean possibly we're trying to do more or there's just uh, more to do inside organisations? I think that, but also I think people are investing in the human talent that, that the, and the results that, that can bring rather than necessarily investing big budgets in uh, some of the campaign work that might go around that, investing in what a person can do in terms of their influence within the organisation. Mm, yeah, that ha- absolutely has to be mm. good news. So let's look at the role of the internal comms function, because I know that you asked about, you know, actually what people are doing and the the value that people place on this. There does seem to be signs that our role is becoming more strategic. So one of the stats that I pulled out was that, and it was great to see that the proportion of respondents who are saying that their senior leaders agree on the purpose of IC. And that's gone up to a whopping great 70% from just 53% 53% in 2015. That's got to be really good news, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's great that now senior leaders and IC professionals are on the same page, on the same wavelength around their role within the business. So yes, we all hear about those uh, examples we, we don't want to be talking about anymore in terms of being a post box and all the old uh, things that people would have talked about. But these days, I certainly hear a lot of senior IC people talk about how their leaders really get uh, what the internal comms function can do and the impact and outcomes it can bring. Mm, it is good news, but there does seem to be that persistent third. It does, I mean, it works out to about 31% who are saying that their leaders don't understand the value of IC. So that problem hasn't completely gone away, has it? It's still there. It's still there, but good as you say that it's increased from 53% to 70%. So we're definitely going in the right direction. But in terms of that remaining 30%, um, you know, that can be done to a number of things. The, the, the culture within the organisation. Yes. And we're certainly seeing something. Um, there's a, a, a point in there. There's 2% of people, 2 percent of internal comms functions now report into the strategic arm or the innovation arm or the transformation arm so mm-hmm. we're actually moving away from a reactive post to a, a proactive post which is encouraging yes absolutely i mean i think one of one of our very recent clients is reporting directly into the strategy director of a large financial services organization and he's very vested in internal comms and yeah. that's quite a shift yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's wonderful to see i think there's also a link there with the uh, number of roles that are change communications uh, related so uh, roles that may have uh, in the last 10 years mm-hmm. been very interim focused mm. coming in supporting a change program yeah. actually a lot more permanent opportunities where people are uh, managing one or more uh, transformation programs and reporting through the strategy transformation change uh, yes. uh, area of a business rather than necessarily the central internal comms team so let's talk about this th- thorny issue then of vision so there's this 
quite a significant minority, 45%, who are saying there is no long-term vision for internal comms inside their organisation. Now, I was wondering what's driving that. Is it a reflection of the sheer amount of change that's happening inside organisations, or could there be another element to play there? So our take on this is absolutely, as you say, Katie, that um, a lot of change happening in every organisation these days, um, and that's the new business as usual. But around that, we... We think that a lot of people have evolving, agile, internal communication strategies that are perhaps only a year, looking forward for a year, rather than that sort of three, four, five years that we may have seen in the past. Um, and also, I think there's the there's the issue around internal communications, people moving on quicker from their roles into, yes. into other uh, organisations. So actually... Uh, someone joining as an IC, a head of IC, will they be there in five years' time? Actually having a, a very agile, evolving one-year strategy is the way that a lot of people seem to be going. Mm. So, I mean, Andy, obviously you came to Gatehouse from VMA, the recruitment agency. So what's the average tenure, do you think, of a sort of senior IC person these days? I would say it's definitely uh, decreasing um, right. on the permanent side. So mm. um, I think it's a societal thing as well. You know, a lot of people who are maybe uh, at the younger end of the internal communications world are definitely thinking of moving on uh, a lot of, a lot quicker than so that's perhaps on the other end may, may have done in the past. But I think... Um, um, also, the nature of uh, interim roles these days where yes. people are going in, supporting a change programme and wanting to move on. But I would say it's definitely on the decrease. And I would say more around the, the three-year mark than something like the five-year mark these days. Which absolutely reflects the average tenure of the of the average CEO now is probably about five years. So these long-term strategies are probably going to be rarer and rarer. So in terms of IC teams core priorities for 2020. This is an interesting picture. Now, obviously, we're seeing still a lot of IC teams crafting and broadcasting messages. We would probably expect that. My eyes jumped immediately to the just the few 16% of us who are involved in upskilling others. So clearly, we're not doing a lot at the moment of training and coaching. I just wonder what your observations are, Kevin, of, of our priorities for the next 12 months. Yeah, so in the UK, uh, the, the top three priorities are communication purpose, strategy and values, communicating a change or transformational programme, and enhancing line manager communication. So we've, we've got a piece on line, line manager communication, which we can talk about later in the podcast. But I think back to your point about training and upskilling line managers, it's a very hard, it's a very hard conversation to get to get around because there's a few conversations on what is a line manager now? Yes. Are we bypassing line managers? Do we essentially need line managers to communicate on our behalf? So yeah, there's a bit more research, a bit more discovery that needs to be done in that space. My my opinion is there's there's an emerging trend towards the behaviour of line managers, but also budgets are squeezed, time is squeezed. So I don't necessarily think we're giving them enough time. Do you want to say a little bit about the geographical differences yeah. in terms of our priorities around yeah. the world? So in Europe, yes, we're communicating purpose, strategy and values but also they're looking at improving their digital channels. In North America, while we're looking at refreshing a, a communication strategy, they're also looking at improving digital channels, which is interesting because in the UK, we're not necessarily looking at improving our digital channels. No, and we can come back to that. I think there's another section later on on yes. why that may be. Yes. But yes. it's interesting around the globe, we've got different priorities, different pressures, and different needs from our audiences. Why would we be spending less time 
de developing our digital channels. It doesn't, I'm not sure it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's a peculiar one. Um, my particular take on this is we've been through a couple of years of 0365 rollouts. So right. we've, it could be a bit of fatigue in there. And we've got to a point where we've lost the lost control of what that digital channel may be or the output from that digital channel. Right. So we're taking a step back to assess what that may look like. Um, now, gone are the days a few years ago when you could spin up a microsite very quickly and then just kind of get around, get around the process and have a campaign-based site um, supporting your activities. Um, so I think it's I think it's because we're not seeing the true value or the true potential from these digital channels. That the bigger question there is: Are we measuring them correctly, and are we telling the story of what we're seeing in those digital channels correctly? Mm. 365 has taken hold now, hasn't it? So yeah. that makes perfect sense that yeah. we've done that. And we feel like we've ticked that box. I yeah. totally agree with you about the microsites. Yeah. And that used to be you'd walk into an organisation, you'd fall over yeah. and like yeah. really yeah. threw a stick and you'd hit seven of them. Yeah. I think we're operating in a more regulated environment now where we can't just go off and create something it's got to fit into a, a certain process a certain environment um so the w old wild west days are, are very much gone and we we have to align ourselves to the it strategy which doesn't give us much freedom and we're kind of it's a longer process to get things done get new features added and to tick the boxes yeah that makes perfect sense and then explains exactly why we're getting that result so let's talk about barriers to success now one of the things you highlight here is you say the priorities i see teams have chosen to focus on in 2020 are not completely aligned with the challenges that they have to overcome i think we've alluded to this briefly already but can we really hone in on this yeah, sure. So if we if we just focus on the UK, um, the UK market, as I mentioned, communicating purpose, strategy and values, communicating change transformation program and enhancing line manager communications are the top three priorities. However, we look at the data for top three challenges in the UK market. It's hard to reach employees, poor line manager communication skills and the volume of the communication is too high. So we're actually Work, we're actually doing stuff that aren't, isn't necessarily answering the problem that we're here to solve. Now, is that because of pressure from our stakeholders? Is that because we don't know how to solve those problems? It's an interesting question that it'd be, we need some more, we need, to, we need to dig deeper and just align our priorities with our challenges. So am I right in thinking the, vo the volume of communication being too high that was 45% of respondents said that that was one of their challenges. That was one of the highest challenges this year. Yeah, you're right. It's, um, yeah, it's around 40 to 50%, which is a huge task to undertake. And it's, if you take a step back, how do we, how do we start addressing that problem? It becomes a bigger, it be, becomes a bigger problem to solve. You know, how, and where's the resource? How do you start influencing stakeholders? How do you map out all of your contents? I mentioned previously, we're in a regulated environment, so it should be, easier than we think it is but because historically we've allowed channels to be developed messages to be messages to be developed newsletters whatever to be developed mm. it's kind of hard to address that and i think also and we'll talk about planning in a little while but there's quite a few i see people that still don't have channel frameworks in place yeah. Yeah. and for me there's a cause and effect thing going on here if you haven't got a clear channel strategy then possibly you are going to get quite a noisy playing field. Yeah, and it goes back to our um, measurement piece as well. So if you haven't got a framework in place and you're not measuring anything, you haven't, you can't be part of that conversation because you have no justifiable opinions. Yes. Everything is an assumption. So 
and assumptions carries equal weight for every part of the organisation. Yes. And then how are you going to push back on the leader wanted a new newsletter, a new podcast, a new whatever it is, Absolutely. because you haven't got a valid argument to push back on. You've got an opinion, but you haven't actually got yeah. a finding or a data point to prove that. And I suppose also because of the growth of cho- social channels, because now so many people can be individual publishers of content that does make it quite a noisy world I guess I mean it's not all I see teams that are creating this noise it would be unfair to say that would yeah I think so I think that that's where you know solid governance comes in but governance means many different things for many different people so what is content in one organization is content in another organization so it's very hard to regulate the amount of content coming out Um, but if you could if you and because we don't have the time to necessarily do that, we are being asked to deliver, uh, deliver a campaign, deliver a change program, deliver whatever it is. I don't necessarily think we can take ourselves out of that scenario to really plan that properly. So you asked quite a few questions around planning. And it does seem to me that some of our planning is a little bit still elusive. I don't know if that's, if that's the right word. So you ask people to say what they have in place in terms of, of planning. And it's great to see that there's a, a comms plan and cal- cal- calendar. So 65% are saying that. Only half, 55, just over half are saying that there's a, a written plan. And this trails off in terms of audience personas, which I think are vital if you want to develop new channels or improve new channels, not even, well, just 18%. I mean, this is not brilliant news for us, is it? No, no. Um, For me, as we worked together, we started with a persona-based approach. We needed to understand our audience and everything spins out from that understanding of the audience. So it's... it, it does surprise me, actually, that the that figure is so low. However, I think it's a new approach. We Sometimes we get asked to deliver things so quickly, we just do not have the time to take yes. a step back and do the thinking up front. Yeah, I mean, it's as we covered earlier, um, you know, only 33% of IC teams have um, an IC strategy that covers more than one year. So... Yeah, is that coming back to your contractor point there, that so many people are not in these roles for very long? They're not looking longer than a horizon of 12 months. I think that's true. Um, And I think actually they are working on change communication strategies for individual programs. So a digital transformation, um, an M&A program, and maybe, you know, they that is not going to be a strategy they've maybe put together for more than a year. Isn't this going to be difficult for employees? Because after a while, are they going to sort of fail to see the wood for the trees? Are they going to sort of think to themselves, well, there's another change program, but none of these potentially are adding up for me. What's the big corporate direction here i mean there is that yeah. fear is there not if we spend yeah, all the time on change yeah, programs yeah i get that i think it's um it's interesting actually because what is i mean back to what is a change program um at the moment we're being asked to develop campaigns it becomes quite interesting because this a communicating a, a uk wide strategy for example takes a long time it takes a long time for that strategy to get developed doesn't it and get through the various iterations yes. until it can go into an organization that could be six eight twelve months yes in that time people the players involved may have changed strategy may have changed the moment might have changed there might be different pressures so it's it's a it's a long process of getting that corporate direction nailed mm. in the meantime we're still dealing with the the noise coming from the various transformational programs and the various uh, and the various parts of the business that aren't that haven't necessarily had the opportunity to be aligned to that strategic narrative 
But it is a chicken and egg problem, isn't it? Because if you don't have personas, if you don't have a channel framework, if you haven't measured which your most effective channels and have clear objectives for each and know that's hitting its objectives, that's not hitting its objectives, when your strategy director or CEO comes to you or your board and says, this is the future and we want to roll it out everywhere, you haven't got the bits in place you haven't got the yeah. moving parts in yeah. place to make that happen have you yeah and that's that's the point about the the the, the metrics isn't it so yes. what what are you going to measure how are you going to keep a track of that i mean i'm as guilty as anyone you, you start to think about a campaign you put the people you have to influence the people you have to keep aware the people you have to inform it's all very good at the start and then as the program rolls out or the campaign rolls out you kind of don't revisit that as often as you mm -hmm. should so the data is kind of not as as good as it should be and way after the campaign has finished or the program has finished it's kind of irrelevant whereas if we take a step back into looking at a data centric culture or data driven culture that's where we'd be would that would be the focus point of every conversation and i think that's what the strategic directors and cios want to see they don't want to come into meetings and have a a meeting about an opinion they want to see pie charts and figures on the board and what does that mean for that how does that mean what does that mean for that person or that part of the business is it that organizations simply aren't asking for ic people with that real depth of knowledge in metrics benchmarking dealing with data i think that's a really um uh, fair reflection of where the market's at. I think a lot of people may be hiring uh, internal communications professionals. Uh, maybe that is uh, an HR director or a change director um, who would expect the IC professional to come in and bring that as part of their toolkit. So the measurement tools uh, and to deliver the outcomes they're looking for. But actually, uh, a lot of IC people will go in and actually it's a we tried the measurement, it didn't really work properly. Um, and actually, I think there's the, you know our industry still got a long way to go in getting the, that, the measurement side right. But there's 2% of us now reporting into strategy directors. You would think the strategy director would be very interested in our metrics and our benchmarks and our targets yeah. and what our pie charts look like. So, Kevin, we should get our act together, do you well, think? Well, I think so. Uh, I think it's interesting that you know, we come into communicators as storytellers first and foremost, don't we? We want to paint a picture of what can, what our leadership want to, want to explain or what our leadership want to talk about, what the organisation needs to, to hear. Um, but bring in the, bring, if we focus on a data-centric culture, we've got a different type of storytelling. So we're looking at numbers rather than a vision or an idea. And it's a completely different skill set. So we've got to read between what, we've got to look at what the numbers are telling us and that should influence strategy, that should influence um, um, a campaign, that should influence our behaviours. I think it's it's a slight shift, but it's it's also we're not helping ourselves. I don't think we're necessarily measuring the right metrics. I think some I think we are taking the easy option. We're looking at easy to use metrics such as reach. You know, yes. reach is a metric that's easy to get a metric that's easy to look at. You can look at a SharePoint site, you can look at um, any email software and understand how many people have received something. But where I think we should be challenging ourselves as industry is rather is looking at impact rather than reach. So yes. What does that mean for that person? Uh, how much impact, how much influence did that piece of communication have in that area, in that department or to that person, rather than just reporting back on numbers of emails opened or yeah. video views? So, yes, I know there's quite a few organisations that are doing that at the moment, but we're not seeing it across the board. And I no. think that's where we need to challenge ourselves as an industry.
And just to reiterate that point, 39% say that they don't measure the impact of their IC campaigns on behavioural change and yep. business outcomes. So again, yep. not measuring outcome. Well, it's just, yeah, which is a huge problem because if we if we are going to go into transformational programs and the idea of a transformational program is to change behaviour, we have no benchmark, we have no starting point, so we can't measure yes. what we don't know. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a trend around behavioural economists, economists coming into the industry at the moment, which I think is great. It's, it's a perfect thing to do, but we've still got some, found, some foundations we need to get right before we can utilise the full value of that thinking. And one of the things the report highlights is that we're potentially not sharing our data when we do have data. We're not sharing it with others outside yeah. our function as well yeah. as we should be. I think that, that goes back to the point earlier. Um, we don't value ourselves enough. We don't value ourselves. We don't think we're as good as what we actually are they just telling us we're better than we think we are but then again it's do we have enough skills in the in the industry to understand what that data is telling us um, do we know how to implement change based on the data we are seeing uh, do we know how to influence how to change our story our narrative and um, some of the models that we work to based on that data I'm not necessarily sure we do but then it's it's we don't want to base absolutely everything on data I think there's a certain element is gut feel and if you can use the data to back up your gut feeling and your intuition as an internal communicator that if you paint it that way around you can tell a better story yes. what I'm not advocating is just come up with a load of numbers but create some story from those numbers it's really you're as, as internal communicators we know sort of what works what doesn't work use the data to back you up and thread that data through your storytelling because it becomes a very powerful story at that point so let's turn to outcomes because we just sort of mentioned sort of measuring outcomes. But one of the things that really jumps out for me is that for the first time, Gatehouse has overlaid, you've overlaid your own employee audit data in terms of what employees are saying they think they know about their organisation strategy and how leaders make decisions and all the rest of it with what I see people are saying they think employees knows. And we, no, and we are... We're a bit pessimistic. Employees actually say they know more than we think they know. Is that a fair assessment? You're quite right, Katie. And wherever you're listening to this, whether you're in the car, walking down the street, whatever you're doing, give yourself a bit of a pat on the back because I think all of us IC professionals should uh, perhaps be a little bit more glass half full sometimes. And there's a couple of stats I've got to share here which might be uh, of interest and, and make you feel really positive. Um, so 23% of us believe that... Um, employees have uh, an excellent or good understanding of the reasons behind some of our leadership decisions. But actually, when we overlay that with uh, the hundreds of audits we've done at Gatehouse, 54% of employees consider themselves knowledgeable on the subject. Um, another couple for you. Uh, and whilst about a third of us communicators think employees are clear on how they contribute to uh, the strategy, twice as many employees say they understand that. Um, and finally, 53% of us think we're doing a good or excellent job overall, and actually 60% of employees would rate the work of the IC team positively. So an absolute pat on the back for us uh, in those three instances. But, but. <laughs> and I, I hate to say this, but does it suggest we're potentially not doing enough audits 
and we don't have the data because we are making these assumptions and we're being a little bit pessimistic. If we actually did regular audits, we would have these numbers at our fingertips. Auditing is very much a, like a, this is where we're at, a particular stated point. And there's also the listening part as well. You know, that fluid measurement of trends, opportunities and what people are feeling. So, yeah, but all of this is time and money, isn't it? And we're, mm. we're being squeezed with our output at the moment. Let's talk a little bit about channels just briefly because I think it would be fair to say that the picture hasn't changed much year on year. I mean obviously we know face-to-face -face is the most effective and I think there's one particularly piece of particular piece of good news. You said there was a spike Kevin in face-to-face. Yeah -face. so um, just to caveat that with 50% of the respondents were in organisations from one to 5,000 uh, employees. So we are actually seeing the, a move towards a democratised face-to-face culture. That means to us, it means we're moving away from taking the top 200, 300 people out of the business for an away day and doing face-to-face -face communications there. But we're seeing a spike in this particular subset of uh, respondents who are increasing the amount of face-to-face -face communications. Now, whether that's due to change programs coming down the line, uh, reputational issues, leadership changes, we don't know. But it's a figure that we picked up on because that's the first time that's happened for quite some time, actually. And it's really interesting given the amount of investment in digital spaces, given the amount of investment in you know other various channels, that this is actually coming to the fore. So it's very encouraging, actually. Just on the digital landscape, I don't know how you would kind of bring that to life at the moment, what you see happening there. What's your assessment of of digital channels and what's particularly effective at the moment and what's maybe less effective? Yeah, um, so I mean, it's very hard to see behind the firewalls of all these organisations. Yes. But um, I mean, for me, just straight out there, the most effective channel of communication is WhatsApp. You know, it's mm. un but unfortunately, it's unregulated. And you don't know what's happening in parts of the business. So we, I've used it all the way through my career and it's been the most effective way of communicating to my peers and getting an organizational understanding however in terms of the you know the the, the bigger the bigger kind of corporate led channels i think you know we've just gone through the 0365 rollout most people have been through that transformational journey so most people are playing with teams at the moment working very effectively um, from, from the feedback I'm getting. And then small pockets of the organisation are using collaboration tools. So the idea of um, a one-size-fits-all strategy doesn't work. I mean, you've got teams working um, very effectively collaborating around um, certain topics or certain agendas. But in terms of broadcasting a message out, it seems to be the place where you would put a, a, a video or some sort of rich media um, file into the internet and push out through the different channels as well. Yes, am I right in saying you've still got a tenth of people there saying not at all, almost a tenth, 9% saying their intranets are not at all effective, not particularly effective, that's standing at 33%. It's got that thorny issue with intranet still remain, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, again, you know, what is an intranet? Is it an intranet? Are we looking for, is it a content repository or is it a communication tool? So, yes, if we're looking at it as of the lens of a communicator, then perhaps not. Perhaps, you know, we don't have the features on some of the intranets that have been rolled out that we necessarily need. Mm. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
we've for various organizations i've worked with we've always used that the intranet as a destination maybe it's not the home page but a part of the intranet has been a destination for running campaigns from it run um strategic the strategic um portals through it um but it always seems to be the default and i think that's probably because it's the safest place to put put your content it's the safe people understand it there's support models set up and as you can get basic metrics out of it. And if we're not going to challenge ourselves around measurement, we would always default to the, the channel we know and trust um, for, our, for our content, even though we know it's not necessarily the it doesn't necessarily have the best user experience. Yeah, I think that would be a fair assessment. Just moving on then briefly to the social landscape. You've mentioned already mentioned WhatsApp and we've talked about Office 365, so it's not a surprise to see Yammer there. But it seems to me at the moment we're in a slightly complicated or slightly messy place because we're thinking about Teams, Yammer, Workplace, potentially WhatsApp, and we're all calling these social channels. And possibly what's going to happen in the future is we're going to be clearer about what's a collaboration tool that's project-based work and what's a enterprise social network, which is, I think, something quite different. Would that be a fair assessment? At the moment, we're, not, we're kind of combining all these things and seeing them as one. Yeah, I think it's, you know, where I've seen it work successfully is um, there was a defined purpose that channel everyone knew what they needed to do in it there was some governance around it and it was everyone felt comfortable with the type of conversation they could have in that channel where it hasn't worked is it's just been rolled out company-wide pockets of people using it for different purposes doesn't really relate to any strategy or any narrative going through the organization at all so yes and things you know features have been rolled out teams have been rolled out quite widely um yammer we're talking about the big the big push this year with new features as well so uh, and workplace obviously has has got a different purpose so i think it's just taking a step back to define that purpose which goes back to your earlier point as channel strategy before that what we're trying to do um once we've got those building blocks in play then we can start start looking at what social channel works for what and who it works for I think you, it all comes back to the beginning, doesn't it? Having a vision, yeah. what are we here to do? What's our plan? What objectives are we trying to hit? Um, and possibly if we had the metrics, what's already working well and what's not, and that will lead us naturally to sort of down the path of saying what should we have in the future, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and just yeah. from my experience, the, the times we've used uh, you know, social channels internally, it's just to signpost things. You know, we could launch competitions, we could launch things, but it was mainly to get our employees, our, our people from point A, where they receive that information, to point B, where they actually commit an action. So it could be enter details or read a story. And we've never really used it apart from, in any other sense, successfully, I don't think. No, so we haven't yet entered the world where we are crowdsourcing intelligence from our organisation based on asking fascinating questions and driving innovation through our social channels. We're not we're not quite there yet, are we? I don't. I, I think there's a couple of companies that are probably doing that very well. Um, there's various tools that kind of enable that ideation tools. So let's then jump to leadership communication because you actually ask quite a few questions in here about how I see teams are supporting leadership and, and management in general. It looks like we're doing a pretty good job of prioritising certainly the executive team members. So 65% of us are saying that they're placing a high priority on um, supporting 
executives. It, it falls off a cliff, falls off a ledge after afterwards, does it not? Um, it does, and that's. I think that's the nature of the beast. You know, we're aligned to um, the, the execs want visibility. They want to share their story and talk about their strategy or and talk about their functions. So we've noticed that we are supporting them with various various comms products or comms services, whereas it, where it falls off a cliff is the layer beneath. You know, we're not really supporting our line managers with the full suite of services or, or, or products we could do. So that relates back to, you know, the earlier, the point we're going to discuss or have discussed around uh, line manager comms and what is a line manager. So yes, we are fully supporting the C-suite and that's, that's great. Um, but then we need to look at our role in supporting the, the essentially the, the the middle of the organization now you were saying that you did a preview session and somebody put their hand up and said how do you define a line manager and some of our people in our organizations yeah. have got more than one so this really took me back actually because it's the first time i've kind of come across this challenge and the, the person in quite so we had a conversation in the room which is quite an informative conversation and it turns out there's a few organizations that actually if you're in that if you're in a particular section your line manager becomes three line managers. Are we targeting line managers? Do we target the personal growth one? Do we target the performance line manager with cascading that information? We don't know. Or, or are we just bypassing them completely? And back, we had that conversation earlier on. If more people are working remotely, more people work in cafes or at home, the line manager is kind of redundant. When I worked from home quite a bit, I have a, I'd have a huddle in the morning, 10 minutes, cascade some information out there, but other people would be in meetings. You know, we talk about reach versus impact. So yes, we can target our frontline staff or all of our staff through digital communications or whatever, however we want to target them. But the most impactful stuff is having a conversation with your line manager, however that line manager relationship works, and actually having the ability to have an opinion, ask questions, and deep dive into that conversation. If we don't have that approach, to, if we don't look at how we're measuring our, the way we communicate, are we looking for reach? Great, we can just sign off now and just send emails out. If we're looking for real behavioral change, we have to focus on impact. And once we get that impact piece right, I think that's super powerful for line managers to have a great effect on the, the productivity of the organization. Having sort of looked at all this data and collated it all, where are you saying people should initially spend their time yeah so stuff to get started on crafting a channel framework you know we talk about um the content overload and noise and message distortion you know we we, uh, we haven't asked about um signal versus no we haven't talked about signal versus noise either that's come up so yeah if we can get a channel framework in place or at least start thinking about it mm. the step before that is probably to start thinking about what metrics you can use and the step before that again is back to your vision and priorities if we can get those aligned, which we should have aligned, we can start crafting a, a, a channel framework to reduce some of that stuff. Mm. The second point is about addressing the content overload. You can't really address it without a, f a framework in place, a, a solid framework that's been agreed, mm. and there's some governance behind that. So that becomes that falls into the channel framework piece. And then again, we have to so say the sector report. So we have to have upskilled line managers in mm, there. Yes. So you know, we don't we don't give you we don't give you the the, the pill that's going to solve this. But we have to start thinking about the role of the line manager in your organisation. Right. Start thinking about how we're um, going to have the most impact, or how we can enable them to have the most impact in their communications. We don't necessarily have to send them a PowerPoint presentation and ask to send ask them to deliver that but let's get them thinking about how they can have the most impact and drive that behavioural change that we may be looking for. Just coming back to something you said earlier about the signal 
and the noise. You said those two things are quite different. What did you mean by that? Well, the signal was the, 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 the clarity, the message you should be listening to. Right. Whereas a content overload, you're getting a lot of noise around that pure pure signal. So we should be focusing on the signal, what that signal comes back to the priorities. So this is our key message, or this is the key thing we need to be focusing on or talking about this quarter, this path. Mm. Um, but the noise around that, let's, clarif let's clarify that. That is noise and yeah. kind of strip away some of that noise. So people are clear what they need to be talking about. People are clear what conversations they should be having with their clients, their line managers, whoever it is. Mm. I think that's a big thing that we should be focusing on. So really, I suppose I see teams prioritising on behalf of the audience what messages they need to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of going back to your personas. So you understand what message they need to hear because you, you've done that piece of research down below. You understand what they need to do their job better, well, and perform effectively. And once you've got that clarity in your personas, you now know what signal you should be sending those personas. And you can strip away the noise. You know, if you're in, for example, if you're in a different part of, a, of the organisation and you've got a very vocal leader, that becomes noise to the rest of the organisation. So how do you kind of control that noise and make sure those personas, those people are getting the right signal. Should we also talk about data culture and a data-driven culture? We have we have sort of touched on this quite a bit, but I think the next decade, <laughs> if we think about what's coming up next, we are going just to have to get better at how we collate and use and share data. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. I think it's... Um... You know, something we're doing at Gatehouse is just trying to crack that data, trying to crack that measurement nut. Um, we're, we're very good at auditing and benchmarking, but now how can we take the how can we take the industry forward by developing data-driven cultures within organisations? So for us, data-driven cultures, two things: the data uh, that drives the culture. Um, so how do we let's start to have conversations around? Okay, we've got the metrics there. What does metrics mean to me? Are they the right metrics? Can we start challenging? the metrics we're getting or the metrics we're seeing. And it's not just data, but the KPIs for the business, the KPIs for the function. Mm. How are we aligning our output to those metrics? Mm. That data would come down. And then it's the culture is let's start talking about the data, start talking about the things we're seeing within the organization that are actual fact rather than based on assumptions. So story storytelling through data, taking looking at um, the measurement reports, looking at things that are happening. And it's not just within IC, it's within people analytics. Are we seeing, if we look at, for example, if we look at a, a period of disengagement with leadership messages and the leadership, how does that relate to people leaving the organisation? If we can start to be part of that conversation by using data mm -hmm. and stories, we start to have, we start to put ourselves in a very prominent position in the organization because we're actually predicting mm. the health of the organization mm. um, and that is that's you know that's the nirvana for yeah. most ceos or cios it's interesting isn't it because i would imagine most organizations probably do um you know they probably collate quite a lot of data and all sorts of things i mean for example is the average ic team looking at exit interview data I'm not sure yeah. but that might be that might be really useful why yeah, are people yeah. leaving are they leaving the organization are they leaving their boss are they leaving the environment are they leaving yeah. the culture yeah. are they leaving because of pay I mean all these things are kind of valuable aren't they yeah oh hugely valuable um but what I found is it's it's a it's a lot of investment in time to try and penetrate some of these mm. some of these teams and functions that have that data so you've got you've got to penetrate them first add your value 
And what data are we bringing to these teams that can add value to them? So you give the time of day not much at the moment, apart from reach. Um, yeah. uh, and then it becomes a longer term. It becomes a longer term conversation. Once you're in, I think there's some some companies that are doing it very well. Um, some marketing based companies, um, but it's 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 a, it's just a strategic approach. It takes a long time to get you know to get in that conversation. Yeah, we, we talk about data, and the assumption is we're talking about something that's spat out at the end of a. a piece of software so i know a team that put two buckets had tennis balls uh, next to the buckets at the end of the day did you have a good day one bucket did you have a bad day another bucket put tennis balls in over a period of six months they collated that data and they worked out how many good or bad days and they correlated that to some of the stuff the client team were working on Mm -hmm. yeah basic data like that gives you insights so and that's a constant piece of measurement so yeah i just want to make it clear it's not you know i'm not everything has to come out of a machine it can be that personal insight and if you overlay that to the stuff that comes out of a machine it becomes quite rich. I mean, I know people that wandered up to the sort of the exit of the building and as people went in and as they left, they literally just had a pad and pencil and they were just asking questions of people, three or four questions as they left and as they went in. And they did that every so often. I mean, it doesn't have to be high tech, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't. It can be completely basic, but we're starting that culture of measuring. Right at the end of your report, certainly towards the end, you start to talk about the employee experience and where I see might fit in kind of crafting that employee experience, isn't it? It's a big challenge. Um, and you're right, it's everywhere at the moment. And some of your listeners might have turned off now that we've mentioned employee <laughs> experience because, it, it, you know, we've been in IC for some time now and there are trends that come and go. But if we take away the terminal, if we take away employee experience, it's, it's basically, you know, what every touch point that employee has with an organisation. And if... IC or communications is one of those is at the moment is kind of sitting in isolation so if we go back into what employee experience is it's having that holistic proposition or offering as an organization so IC have to be at that table I've seen I've seen it work very well um, where we've we influence onboarding we influence the messaging all the way through actually prior to onboarding and we have a say in what the messaging is, what that experience is. But again, back to my earlier point, we've got to penetrate some quite difficult parts of the organisation to be on their on their steering committees, on their boards, just so we we get the complete picture. Because sometimes we don't, um, and I think that that would enable us to help shape what that employee experience, if there is going to be any experience, looks like the, the people function would have their own view on employee experience. I think the strategic team would have their own view. Um, But if we are to come to the table with data personas and understanding, a validated understanding of what works for people, what makes people tick, then we have a very strong um, part to play in employee experience. One of my final thoughts is you, you guys both are new directors to Gatehouse and you take on a survey that's been now going 12 years. What changes might we see, do you think, to the way that you run this survey or the questions you might ask? I suppose it raises the question, you want the benchmark, so you've got to keep asking similar questions all the time because we want to be able to compare apples with apples. But at the same time, what's your vision for this and how it might evolve? I think we're in a position now where channels aren't really changing much at the moment. They're changing a little bit year on year and where we'd like to... Um, add more value to the survey is kind of moving away from having obviously keeping it in but focusing on behavioral change how we're influencing that kind of part of the business how we're 
having a bigger impact, how we're changing people's lives within the business and changing the way organizations do business. Yes. And I think that will support the conversations we need to be in. Um, mm. If we do that by measuring certain things like data, um, more metrics, whatever it is, I think mm. we just need to, we can perhaps evolve the, the report into something that would take it, with support people who are in the strategic um, functions or the innovation functions as well. Yeah. yeah, so absolutely, Katie. I think there's 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 uh, further questions that Kevin and I are keen to see in future surveys around skills, the skills needed for the future, um, but also looking at the frequency. I think we talk about the annual employee engagement survey. Maybe uh, you know once a year is not. Uh, is not the great way to do it these days. And I think actually if we could dig, dig deeper into some of the, the issues out there next year and come back in 2022 with, with an updated state of the sector, I think we'd see more change and actually getting next year some of the, the more detail would be my, my, our way forward. But the great news for IC is that you're still going to be doing it. So we're still going to be able yeah, to rely absolutely. on you for our benchmarks. Yeah, absolutely. And something that's just popped into my head that was, I was thinking about this earlier is around demographics, generational demographics and different demographics in the organisations. So shall we turn to those quick fire questions? Andy, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you first. What would most surprise people about Andy McLeod? Well, I'll start with actually what would surprise people about us both. We hadn't actually met before we joined Gatehouse in the last month or so. So uh, um, Kevin and I knew each other, um, but uh, hadn't actually met. So we've been working together now for a couple of months at Gatehouse um, and are delighted to be uh, working together, but individually. I actually was a pretty good electronic keyboard player, but actually I um, decided to move into the world of internal comms rather than the world of music. Uh, So a big music fan, but uh, took the internal comms path and uh, and glad I did. Kevin, what might surprise people about you? I don't know, really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I guess that I'm a trained garden designer. So yes, I went to uh, Itchbold, School of Garden Design, uh, took a part-time course and had grand designs of... uh, Winning a gold medal at Chelsea several years ago, um, and but uh, I think that's something for later on in life actually. But you still garden to de-stress. Well, I've got three young boys, so um, gardening just means picking up broken branches, moving, moving, moving things around, so making sure nothing gets destroyed. So yeah, yeah. it's a loose term. Picking up footballs, reseeding the grass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if, a, if you're me, moving trampolines around. Exactly. It's very yeah. different from the vision I had, but that's, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> but as you say, for later in life, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So what one book, journal or website should all communicators read? I'll kick off, Katie, and uh, suggest that actually Sue Dewhurst and Liam Fitzpatrick have uh, uh, published a book recently called Successful Employee Communications. Um, I've actually just started it. I haven't got through it yet, but it's absolutely brilliant. Um, And I was one of Sue's uh, attendees on a Melkrum course back uh, many years ago, and uh, I think it's absolutely going to be a brilliant read, and uh, you can't miss it on the shelves. It's bright yellow. It's very bright yellow. They came on the podcast not very long ago, and they were absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yes, I completely agree and lovely people as well definitely Kevin I I always go back to this book by uh, Carmine Gallo called uh, Talk Like Ted where they've oh, analysed right, hundreds and hundreds of TED Talks and they've worked out how to deliver the best TED Talk what works in terms of tone rhythm um, and delivery style and it's just a fascinating well I listened to it I didn't read it but I listened to it for the podcast and it's just for anyone listening I just recommend listening to that because it just changed the way you want to present so what would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you couldn't fail? 
I travel to Australia quite often and actually I'd love to find a way of building a plane that could get me to Australia and back for a weekend. That would be absolutely brilliant. Better see friends and family a lot more, a lot more frequently. So that would definitely be mine. So you need this galactic thing that Branson's building that takes us I up into the stratosphere. Absolutely do. And I think if I read it right, four hours to Australia and back. Wow. Sorry, four hours to Australia. That's yeah, incredible. That be, yeah. But a few years off. I think so. And we won't talk about carbon emissions because that might... And that leads us on to Kevin's point, actually. Oh. Well, this could be the first conflict, actually, of our... <laughs> of your professional <laughs> of our, of our career, lives, yeah. yes. So mine would be to end climate change. So if Andy's going to build a, a, a rocket that gets into Australia in four hours, my, I'll be the protester outside of that station demanding <laughs> he pulls it down and stops production of it. So, yeah, I, I would aim to, you know, a bit cheesy, but that's what I'd want to do. I think a lot of people would be there right behind you on that one. So when you think of the world's best communicator, alive or dead, who comes to mind? Possibly a fairly common answer to this one, but uh, it does resonate with me. Tony Blair. Um, I was first starting my internal comms career back in the late 1990s. Um, and actually Tony Blair being PM at the time, being kind of learning around uh, tone of voice and really connecting with audiences and the messages he was putting across, obviously at the time of Diana and things like that. Um, actually, Tony Blair is mine. Kevin? Uh, yeah, for me, uh, the greatest storyteller ever is William Shakespeare, you know, in terms of reference point, in terms of storytelling and longevity. Abs yeah, he's got to be the all-time uh, number one. But for me, my personal hero in terms of the way he communicates is Muhammad Ali. I think he's just so poetic in what he delivers and quick-witted. It's just I can watch that guy all the time mm. on repeat. Yeah, yeah. Great answer. So the final question is, you get a billboard, a bit of a metaphorical billboard, really. It's a way of getting a message out to millions, borrowed from the wonderful Tim Ferriss, this question. But what would you put on that billboard for millions to see? I think one of my first uh, leaders actually said to me, you know, you never know who you're dealing with in your team, uh, in business, in life every day. You never know what's going on in their mind. And actually, for me, it's be kind always. For me, if it's going out for millions to millions of viewers, it's like billboard for rent called Kevin McDougal. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, um, there's a, I say something to my boys every day before I pack them off to school. And it's listen, listen, learn and don't be normal. Don't be normal. Yep. Stand out from the crowd. Listen, learn, and don't be normal. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin and Andy, for being on the Internal Comms Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. To find out more about the state of the sector, head over to the show notes on our website. That's abcom, abcomm.co.uk. And while you're there, you might like to sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. It gives you updates on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of internal comms. If you enjoyed this show, I'd be extremely grateful if you could rate it on iTunes, because I'm told that is the very best way of making us more discoverable for other IC professionals out there. And hopefully I will finally get over this annoying cough and cold for the episodes that we have coming up. We've got some great guests lined up. Listen out for Priya Bates and the icy legend that is Bill Quirk. And also I put my first CEO in the hot seat. So hit the subscribe button today. 
So lovely listeners, until we meet again, remember, it's what's inside that counts. Bye.